Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Steve Fowler. Hey, we're in this new series that we're calling House Arrest, and uh, we're launching that this weekend. It's going to go uh, for some weeks. We don't really know how long it's going to go. We're just shifting things up a bit to be more responsive to perhaps what you're going through. It's probably not a surprise to you that in my life, I've crossed a few lines. Uh, I did that a lot as a kid, and at boarding school, I grew up in Malaysia. Uh, I crossed some lines there, and as you might expect, when you cross lines, there's consequences. And so I experienced some consequences, you know, the loss of privileges, having your allowance docked, having to go to bed early. Yes, I confess, sometimes a paddling or two that was much deserved. But the consequences that I despise the most was being room confined. I remember crossing a line one time, and I'm not going to tell you what it was, but I crossed a line one time, and I was room confined for the week. I could go to my classes, I could go to meals, but I had to stay in my room, and I remember being in my my cell, because that's what it felt like, (laughs) and uh, experiencing FOMO before we knew what FOMO was, fear of missing out, and I could hear a basketball bouncing on a basketball court. Uh, I could hear uh, kids playing on a playground, hear conversation of those walking by my room, and the isolation was miserable. This is way before texting and the internet and TV and, um, and, and in our rooms there, at least at boarding school, um, and, and way before the, the ability to just communicate very quickly or having social media. And all this led to isolation, and it just was crushing me. It was so miserable. Um, And as I went through that experience, I I sort of felt like, you know, as this was happening, it's kind of like that Wicked Witch on the Wizard of Oz movie that when when I came under this consequences, like my inner self is like screaming, like, I don't know how much more I can take of this. Um, And uh, and fast forward now, after boarding school, I'm living in San Francisco. I'm married to Trina and we're in San Francisco. So we're at one weekend. We're just going to go out and enjoy some of the sights. And so we decide to go to Alcatraz. Uh, we pay the fee to go to this, nat- this national park, and uh, we're, we're, at, we're at Alcatraz, and Alcatraz is this rocky outcropping of an island in the San Francisco Bay. It's a, it's a penal colony for those in back in the day for the notorious criminals. So they, they would be sent to, the, to Alcatraz Um, And we're going on the tour and we're being shown cells and notorious criminals and names that you would know, Al Capone, other names. So this is a cell they were in. And then the guide took us to the solitary confinement chamber and said, hey, if if, if you want, you can go in there and we'll close the door. It'll be completely pitch black. But there were people who spent many weeks in there because of their behavior issues on the island and so Trina and I was like, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do it. And uh, we went in there, and as that door was shutting, it was like a vacuum was sucking out all the light. And when that door shut, complete darkness, pitch black. And my outer self was trying to stay composed, but my inner self was just struggling. And it kind of reminded me of those days of being room confined, that that pressure of feeling of isolation and being cut off and no light. And that minute seemed like it was hours. That door slowly opens. Light comes gushing back in. 
uh, and uh, boy, that pressure lifted. And I do not like being confined. <laughs> I like the freedom to roam. And yet here we are in these really interesting days in which um, we're encouraged not to roam for the sake of protecting one another from catching this virus. And, uh, and, and maybe you're feeling some of, some of the pressure. I mean, maybe you're missing the fact that, you know, we, gone to the days, it seems, that you could sit at a restaurant and enjoy a meal and there'd be laughter and conversation that takes place over a, over a dinner table. The offices are closed. The church is closed. It seems like the city is, is shut down. You're walking the streets in your neighborhood and you see someone coming down your side of the sidewalk and you cross over to the other side of the street and you wave to him and say, hey, nothing personal. And sometimes, as has been our case, people don't even make eye contact with you. It's almost like they believe that this virus can be passed through eye contact. And it's the pressure of isolation, the pressure, pressure of being alone is maybe it's taking a, a, a new toll on us. Maybe not. But perhaps you're married and um, this cartoon that I'm putting up on the screen here captures your emotions. Or the husband is saying to his wife, was it something I said? Or maybe um, the idea of having your kids in, at home 24-7 has lost its luster and you're, you're kind of feeling the tension. Or, or perhaps you've homeschooled and this is completely normal. You're like, people, what's the big deal? This is, this is like normal life for me. Others of you, you're homeschooling. You're in week three or four of homeschooling and you're just at your wit's end. And you are now finally appreciating your teachers at our schools. Um, John Krasinski uh, has a new YouTube channel. It's called Some Good News. And perhaps his sentiments about his appreciation for teachers is something that you might, uh, you might appreciate. Here's a short clip. We here at SGN would like to start a petition that all teachers get paid $1.71 million per day. Yeah, we, 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 we love our teachers. And when we take our kids to school in the fall, my guess is that our hearts are going to be pretty full of gratitude. Hey, maybe you're single in this season and um, you were you already lonely. And now it's like another layer of isolation and loneliness has come on you. I uh, asked a friend to send uh, me some of her thoughts about what this season has been like uh, for her. And, uh, Tina wrote and said, this is hard. This is lonely. Navigating this alone is one of the hardest things I've had to do. Days are long, but nights are longer. My kids and grandkids live out of state and I miss them terribly. My friends who I lean on are there, but at a distance. Missing that connection, missing my church family. The good news is Yes, that he is with me in the midst of all this. The one I can lean on is Jesus. I have leaned on him a lot. He is there in the silence. I'm thankful I can get out and walk, wave to people and smile as we pass. The few words we might share, that is my connection. The FaceTime call or the Zoom connection with my family and friends who check in on me a lot. I'm very thankful for that. So if you see someone walking alone, Make it a point to wave. You never know whose day you'll be making. Oh, and did I mention this was this is hard? Thoughts of someone 
who was already alone and single going into this coronavirus season of our lives. And that's only accentuated. And I don't know what that tension looks like for you. I don't know what that pressure looks like for you. Maybe it's nothing big right now, no huge pressure. That's great. Maybe it's a financial pressure, relational pressure. Whatever it is in this season, it's, it's just rising in us. And that's why we're starting this new series called House Arrest. See, we have a speaking God. And I wonder what God is saying to us. And actually, what we're doing in these next weeks is we're going to be looking at the lives of people as their stories are told in Scripture in moments when they are literally under house arrest. In some cases, they're in prison. Other cases, they've been exiled. Uh, We'll look at John the Baptist and his imprisonment and what God is saying in that situation to him and how that might relate to us. We'll probably look at Joseph and his experience in prison. Um, Maybe Paul and Silas, maybe Paul as he's uh, under house arrest in Rome for two years. And this week, I want to talk to you about uh, the Apostle John and his exile to Patmos. But in all those scenarios, what we're doing is we're we're kind of tuning our ears into what the Spirit is saying and say, Jesus, what are, you, what are you saying to us in this moment? What is it that you want us to hear? You have our attention. In some ways, we're, we're room confined. Some of us are a little jittery. Some of us are, are just fine. But you have something to say to us in this moment. That's what this series is all about. And so what I want to do is I just want to dive right in and talk to you about the Apostle John. It was actually the disciple John and became an apostle, a best friend of Jesus. This is the John who said, yes, God loves you, but he loves me more. (laughs) He had this sense of he just knew he was loved by Jesus. When he wrote his gospel, he said he didn't even call himself by his name. He said the one that Jesus loves. He was rooted in his identity that Jesus loved him. And yes, friends, he loves you too. He likes you too. Yet John finds himself in an unusual season of his life. He's sent to an ancient Alcatraz. You see, he's been preaching the gospel, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's in Ephesus. Most, uh, most scholars believe he's in Ephesus. He's preaching the good news about Jesus, and he's, he's testifying about Jesus. And a Roman emperor Um, has him arrested, and he is exiled to Patmos. This ancient uh, Alcatraz and this penal colony, this, don't think Mediterranean island with white sandy beaches. Uh, Think of a rocky outcropping, much like Alcatraz in in the Bay Area, uh, San Francisco Bay. Uh, It's a place of rock quarries, and there was actually prisoners were mining there. Enemies of the state were sent there. Actually, Trina and I have had the privilege of being able to go there and see what that island is like. And it certainly wasn't a destination uh, in the first century uh, of, of Rome and of the early church. And John is exiled there, and Patmos is a place of pain. But it's also a place where John leans in. In fact, it's a place of pain for John, but John does not waste his Patmos experience. If you've got your Bibles, go to Revelation chapter 1. I want to read uh, this section of Scripture. I'm going to be reading uh, chapter 1, verses 9 through 19, as we talk about what, what Jesus is saying to us. Look, this, this kind of feels like house arrest a little bit. It reminds me of being room confined as a kid, uh, Uh, Maybe you're feeling a little bit confined. What is Jesus saying to us? Well, let's read and see if there's something here for us 
as we lean into this season of our life. Uh, Revelation chapter 1, verse 9, I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom and in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. It was the Lord's day and I was worshiping in the spirit. And suddenly I heard behind me a loud voice, like a trumpet blast. It said, Write in a book everything you see and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool and white as snow. And his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. And his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and the grave. Write down what you have seen, both the things that are happening now and the things that will happen. This is God's holy word. Patmos is a place of pain. And John doesn't waste his Patmos experience. Uh, in, in the story, what we need to understand here is that, you know, John is explaining the fact that, you know, he's been exiled to Patmos because of his preaching about Jesus and because of his testimony of Jesus. So he's on Patmos He's, in, 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 he's enduring suffering because of Jesus. Now, interesting here that, um, that he's on this island because of Jesus. And what we're going to see is a response that's probably unlike what we normally hear. He's on an island. He's on a place of pain because of Jesus. And he is going to worship Jesus. That, that's going to be his response. But the suffering doesn't surprise him. In fact, what he says in verse 9, he says that actually I'm a partner in suffering. Suffering is not a shock to him. He knows it goes with the territory when it comes to walking with Jesus. In fact, Paul, at the end of Philippians chapter 1, would say, we have the privilege of trusting and believing in Jesus, and we have the privilege of suffering with him. See, both Paul and John, um, they, they, they understand the gospel. They understand that there's pain sometimes that comes with being associated with Jesus. And, and frankly, the suffering because you're following Jesus, that, that don't preach. <laughs> That's tough teaching. And maybe you're saying to yourself, well, man, the guy who shared the gospel didn't tell me that. He told me to have an awesome marriage. Man, the guy who told me about Jesus told me that if I gave my life to Jesus, my, my kids would respect me. Or I, I'd, I'd be able to, financially, I'd be stable. But, but Paul and John and other early followers of Jesus knew very clearly that to partner with Jesus and believe in him also meant that suffering would come. 
Now, his suffering is very different from our suffering in these days. And frankly, we're, we're suffering. Yes, there's some fear here, some anxiety, some bills aren't getting paid, perhaps, and, and all that's real, but it's quite unlike the suffering that John's experiencing. And maybe you're listening from a part of the world, you're watching from part of the world, where that, that circumstance John is writing about is your circumstance. You know full well. Friends, endure, persevere. The church, the church family is with you. We stand with you in your persecution. And John is on the island of Patmos because of Jesus. And yet still he worships Jesus. He's doing something that's important for us to see. I mentioned growing up at boarding school in Malaysia, uh, on the west coast of Malaysia, in this town called Penang. Um, I, I aged nine to when I graduated from high school, Spent most of my years there growing up. And and every once in a while, the school would plan a special outing for the kids. And one of the things they would often do is they'd hire uh, fishermen. They would would transform their their fishing boats into ferry boats. And they would ferry us out, us students, out to islands. And and we'd get to play on beaches and explore. And we'd snorkel. And the life under the sea was unbelievable. Uh, I love snorkeling out on those islands. And I remember one time being on one of those trips, and I'd sort of walking my way around the beach. I still go to beaches. I still like just kind of walk. And I was walking around and I saw a flat stone. And I thought, man, this is a great skipping rock. And um, so I, I looked for more flat stones and kind of made a pile. And I got my first flat stone and I wound up. And like you do, you know, you're going to flip that stone out there and let it skip across the water. And I'm waiting for so the waves are just perfect so I can count the skips because we all know that the more skips you get, the better rock skipper you are. And that's what I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to be able to count how many times the skip takes place. And I just heave this rock and it just launches and it's just perfectly launching off that first skip of water. And it, it's like one bounce and two bounces. And I don't know if it was either after the third skip or the fourth skip, But all of a sudden, out of the water, comes this guy. His name is Mark Love. He was a a classmate of mine. He comes up out of the water. I didn't know he was there. And he's in the right place at the right time. You may say wrong place, wrong time. And this stone hits him right in the forehead. Of course, it, it, it cuts his forehead. I'm running out into the into water to make sure he's okay. And I'm thinking to myself, I am in such big trouble. I'm, I'm going to be room confined again. I just, I can't believe this. I mean, I'm, I'm just skipping rocks. I'm not trying to hit him. But Mark was in the right place at the right time for that rock to hit. Again, maybe you're thinking, yeah, wrong place, wrong time. The point of me telling the story is that he was perfectly positioned for all of this to happen And that's exactly what's happening with John. Friends, I think one of the things that the Spirit of God is is saying to us through this Patmos experience is that, that position yourself. You see, John, he's in a place of pain because of Jesus, yet he's still going to worship Jesus. And so he's there. The word, we already read it, it's the Lord's day. And he is there and he's worshiping. And as he's positioned himself to worship, he's worshiping in the spirit. And he has this incredible revelation of Jesus. 
Now, let me just pause there for a moment, because I think we read that, we think, okay, he was on a boat, taken out to Patmos, got off the boat that weekend, he sits down to worship and praise and has this dramatic encounter with Jesus. I, I don't think that's how it went. I think he goes out to Patmos, he's in exile, and by the way, again, he's not there because he murdered someone, he's not there because he stole someone, something, he's not there because he leaked classified information, He's there because of Jesus, and yet what he does is he positions himself and he becomes a worshiper of Jesus. It's on the Lord's Day. My guess is that this is his routine. And chances are it was for weeks, it was for months, it could have been even been for years. Just the spiritual discipline, the, the routine, maybe even sometimes it was very mundane. All he does is show up and worship and most of the time, my guess is that nothing dramatic takes place until one day. Until one day when he hears the sound of someone's voice that sounds like mighty rushing waters, the, the ocean waves crashing on the shore, and he encounters Jesus. The, the word tells us, the scriptures tell us that He's in the Spirit and Lord's Day worshiping. He's positioned himself. He hears, he turns, and he sees. And what he sees is mind-blowing. This is apocalyptic literature, so there's a lot of symbolism. He sees someone who looks like the Son of Man. That was a term that Jesus used quite often. And his hair is white like wool, white as snow. It's a picture of, of wisdom, knowledge, and understanding put together. And Jesus possesses, he possesses wisdom. He knows what to do, and he knows the right time to do it. He's completely wise. His eyes are like fire. He, they penetrate the facade that we often put up and sees the real you, sees the real me. He's dressed in a white robe, purity and holiness, a gold sash across his chest, royalty, wealth. And by the way, when Jews in the first century would do work, they'd wear that sash around their waist. And when their work was finished, they'd wear it across their chest. And indeed, Jesus said, it is finished and his work is complete. His feet are burnished, polished bronze. He doesn't have clay feet. His feet are sturdy. He provides stability. And everyone who puts their faith and trust in him finds stability on him, the rock. Out of his mouth comes a two-edged sword. That's a weird picture, but what that actually speaks to is the, the, the Word of God. It's the spoken Word of God that cuts through the joint in the marrow. It's the perfect Word at the perfect time. John has the encounter of his lifetime in a place of pain. He's there because of Jesus, but he worships Jesus, and he doesn't waste his Patmos experience. I remember as a kid, again, boarding school, I'm, I'm growing up as a kid, one of the things that we had to do at boarding school is every morning, I think it was 7 a.m. to 7.10, they would have these bells that just so you knew what time it was. For those 10 minutes, you had to have a quiet time. I, I did it every morning, growing up as a kid, felt kind of regimented. I look back on it now and I'm grateful for it. But... 10 minutes with Jesus, praying, reading the Bible, that was a requirement. Did that for years. And it, it was my senior year that I had a moment. I, I played sports, I played basketball in my senior years, my last year, uh, last semester of my senior year. And um, 
I usually started on the basketball team and one day I had some issues with my knee and in fact, my, my knee locked up at an angle. I couldn't even put my foot on the ground. I had to walk on my toe on my right leg. And um, there were pieces of bone that um, had got into my joint. They had, calcium had grown around them and they had got lodged into my joint. They're about the size of a peanut M&M. Five of them were in my joint, it turns out, and my knee was locked kind of at an angle. And it appeared that my basketball season in my senior year was, was over. It was a loss. It was a disappointment. Some of you seniors, as you're listening and watching, you, you know what it means like to experience loss, something you've been looking forward to this year. That was my experience. Well, doctors are called, phone calls are made, and I'm going to have to fly back to Hong Kong. And arrangements are made, and that day I'm going to fly back that morning. Of course, it's 7 to 7.10. I'm, I'm going to read my Bible. Um, that's because I'm, I'm supposed to do. But on that day, as I've been positioning myself for many years, I read from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 12 and 13, and, and had kind of a moment. You know, one of those moments where you're reading along and you feel like that's a word specifically for me. Again, I can't walk with great, you know, with a normal stride. I'm, I'm limping. I got bone fragments stuck on my knee. This is what I read. Take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are strong, those who are weak and lame, will not fall but become strong. And those words just jumped off the page to me. I didn't know how it was going to happen, but I had a sense that God was going to do something in, in my knee and it was going to become strong again. And I began praying that I'd be able to play basketball and, you know, the prayers that every senior high school would pray at that moment in time and got on a plane, went home, saw doctors, and it just so happened that in Hong Kong, they were beginning to experiment with arthroscopic surgery. They scoped my knee, got the five chunks out, and I was back at school and in two to three weeks, I was on the court playing basketball again in my senior year. It, it was one moment, probably out of, I don't know how many moments, well over a hundred. And most of those moments where I'm praying and reading my Bible, it's just routine, it's mundane, it's just showing up, it's just doing what you're supposed to do. But one time, I have an encounter that I will never forget. I know where I was. And I can still feel the power of his voice as it was spoken to me that day. Friends, John is in a place of pain. He's having a Patmos experience, but he's not wasting his Patmos experience. And I believe one of the things that Jesus is saying to us in these days is position yourself. He who has ears, she who has ears, Hear what the Spirit is saying. That we, one of the ways that we can lean into this season that feels like house arrest, feels like your room can find, maybe going a little stir crazy, is to position yourself for an encounter. John does that. It's routine, it's mundane, it's just discipline. But one day he has the greatest encounter with Jesus that we know from Scripture of his entire lifetime. And what if one of your most significant encounters with Jesus is? It's just out there, just a little farther out there for you. And it all has to do with you positioning yourself. 
See, John doesn't waste his Patmos experience because here's what he does. He hears, he turns, he sees. That, this may sound like kind of like, okay, what, what's the big deal about that? Here's the fascinating thing. Jesus shows up behind him. I've been asking myself last couple of weeks, why does Jesus show up behind him? Why doesn't Jesus show up in front of him and speak to him? John hears his voice, but there's an action step required. He hears, he turns, and then he sees. It reminds me of Moses. You see, Moses, he's in the mundane, routine life of being a shepherd. He's doing it for decades, and one day he's out in the wilderness, and he sees a burning bush. He sees, and Moses tells us, he turns aside, and then he hears. John hears, turns, and sees. Moses sees turns and hears. It's interesting because it's not about this formula of what you do, but it seems that when we encounter Jesus, that there's an action step for us to take. That even for a deeper encounter, be aware that there may be a turning for you. And if you find yourself in a Patmos experience that is bringing pain into your life, I want to encourage you to not waste that experience and to position yourself and expect to hear and see and be ready to turn. Now, now practically, what does that look like in, in, in these days? Well, let me just kind of flesh it out for us as I, as I, as I wrap up, because I think there's some real practical ways that we can position ourselves, that we, that we can avoid wasting this Patmos experience. Friends, the whole global community is staying home, and people are antsy, and God is speaking and he's speaking to you, to me, to, to us. And one of the ways we could hear him is simply to position ourselves. Practical way you can do that is by leaning into the three pauses. Uh, we, we started doing this in January. Uh, we're pausing in the morning, midday, in the evening, pausing for intimacy. God, I want to know you. Incarnation. Jesus, I want to represent you well to those who don't know you. I want to intercede in the evening. I want to bring my requests to God. One of the ways that you can position yourself is just to allow yourself to enter into these three pauses in these days. Now, if you haven't been joining us, no shame, join us now. Start positioning yourself. And I'll just tell you that some days, some days it'll feel routine. It's been my experience. Other days, I feel the connection. I sense the presence in the room. I'm hearing his voice. But a lot of times it's just showing up positioning yourself for an encounter. So a practical step for you in these days is simply to come join in these three pauses and position yourself. And then just practice listening and practice responding because there's probably going to be a turn that he invites you. You might hear, you might see, but go deeper with him by turning to what he's saying to you. So that's just a practical way to position yourself in these days. And the fact of the matter is, if you don't mind me sharing, um, the whole three pauses um, concept is one that flows out of positioning yourself. Um, if you don't mind me sharing with you, um, it was 2014. And actually, it was February 5th, 2014. 14, that um, I was praying and I was having 
my time with God and I was just asking the Lord to speak to me. I was so hungry. I was reading books about walking in the fullness and being filled with the Spirit. And I I prayed before I went to bed, Lord, would you speak to me in my dreams? You know, sometimes positioning yourself is just sleeping. <laughs> but going to bed hungry and thirsty for an encounter. Yes, even in your sleep. And I had a dream, February 5th, 2014. And just want to share it with you. I wrote down in my journal, there was a framed piece of art or a picture hanging by a chain that I think said God on it, or it was a Christian picture of some sort. It was crooked as it hung in the corner. And then it was taken off the wall. I don't know who took it down. It may have fallen. And then I saw three hats stacked up. They were like the ones uh, people from Britain or the Scottish wear. The kind that the newsboys styled uh, the kids wore as they, they sold newspapers on the corner uh, wore. There are also cabbie hats that in, in the old days cabbies, uh, cab drivers wore them. One was black, one was brown, one was gray that had small white pinstripes. Each three, each of the three different. That was the order of the stacking. The black was on top. The last was the only one that looked stylish. The others were just normal. I heard a voice tell me to wear them 15 minutes a day. I put one on. It wasn't very comfortable. I think there were staples on the inside that I had to fix. And I sensed there was going to be a time in the future where I was supposed to wear the hat and face the corner where the picture was hanging. And I would lean in and pray and wear each one of these hats, but I didn't know when. Fast forward November 2019. I sense that as a church, we're supposed to lean in more and be a more praying people and talk with Lord Sharer, pastor of spiritual formation and spare you all the details. But January, we launched with the three pauses. Three pauses that weren't just some creative idea that we thought, well, you know, we'll just, let's do this. No, it... I share that it just flows from someone positioning themselves and not really even know what it's all about. And here we are. Friends, I don't know what this season is doing, this season of house arrest is doing in your own soul. Maybe you're you're doing just great, you're fine. Maybe you've lost a job. Maybe your business is hanging in the balance. Maybe your marriage is finding stress. Maybe you're wondering where God is and you need a word. Patmos is a place of pain. And like John, I want to encourage you not to waste your Patmos, but to position yourself, be at the right place, the right time for you to hear, to see, and be ready to turn to him and and see the one whose voice is like a mighty ocean wave, a voice that drowns out all the other voices and hear his word of comfort and strength and encouragement to you, to me, to us. Let's pray together. So Jesus, in this season where maybe we're feeling the tension of being room confined under house arrest, we look at John and see his story. Lord, he's exiled and he sees it as, this is what happens when you follow you. Lord, we, we know that 
We're not immune from the pain of our world. What we also know is that you're there with us in that pain. So I just pray that you would give us the discipline, the courage to position ourselves for encounters with you, to be able to persevere through those times that maybe just feels dry and routine, but with the anticipation of an encounter. Oh God, open our ears. Give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying in these days. May we be a people who are ready to respond. I pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.